coaches. Welcome back to the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. We are now on episode four of season two. Today I speak with Jaron Mastis. Jaron spent 12 years as the head tennis professional at Philcrest Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma, before taking over as the head women's coach at the University of Central Oklahoma in 2016. With each passing year, Jaron's team surpassed the successes of the previous year. In 2020, he and Scott Lynn, the head men's coach at Western State University, co-hosted the inaugural ITA Division II Indoor National Championships in Oklahoma City. I was very fortunate to be there to witness what a great success this event was, and Jaron and Scott look forward to hosting again next spring. This is not the type of project many coaches are willing to take on, and is just another example of how Jaron goes above and beyond his job description. You will see that Jaron is very clear on what he is trying to accomplish at UCO, does not make excuses, and is extremely resourceful. He is a fantastic example of how you go about making your program relevant within your athletic department, university, and surrounding tennis community. Please enjoy my conversation with Jaron. Hello, Jaron. Thanks for coming on the ITA podcast. Hey, Dave. How's it going? It's going great. Thank you. It's uh, great to uh, connect with you again. We've got to know each other a little bit over the, the last year. Obviously, uh, with my Oklahoma ties, we have a, a lot in common, know a lot of the same people, but uh, I've been super impressed with uh, how you run your program. Um, obviously, spent some time with you in, in February uh, when you were hosting the, the D2 Indoor National Championships. So I'm excited to learn from you today. I appreciate it. It's an honor to be on this podcast and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. Well, great. Well, look, I want to talk a little bit about your time before you got into college coaching. Uh, obviously, you, you played college tennis, but but then you spent uh, quite a bit of time as the head professional at Philcrest. And I'm interested to know what were some of the kind of professional development lessons you learned during your time there that you may have missed out on if you'd gone straight into the college coaching profession? Well, you know, there, there was a, definitely a lot of growing to do when you're coming straight out of college at 20, 21, 22 years old and, and going into a, a, a head, head pro position where I, was, I took over as the, the head of junior development. Um, so it was a kind of a crash course and it's kind of like my college career. So it kind of set, uh, set the standard for that. Um, you know, I, I walked in, I met my wife in uh, Colorado. She lived here in Oklahoma at the time. I had never even been in the state. And um, we met on a ski lift and I took a leap of faith when I got done with my my college career and got done with college and graduated and said, you know what, I got to find something. And I interviewed for, for three jobs. I'd never done a job interview before. So, um, you know, I interviewed for three jobs, one in Oklahoma City, one in Topeka, Kansas, and the one I took in, in Tulsa. And I got to go through that experience of going through job interviews. Um, and I got all three jobs and I had to make a decision. Uh, I took the one in Tulsa at Philcrest and based that, taking that job based on, you know, not knowing exactly how the income was going to work, not knowing, you know, exactly how many lessons I was going to teach, uh, kind of looked at the books to know what the, the profession was um, and kind of what the numbers kind of looked like. But they kind of gave me a blank slate. They said, hey, it's your, your program to build. Um, you can, you know, we needed someone to, to help with the junior side of things, come in and do it. So instantly I got, you know, thrown to the fire of, Hey, we got to get kids to come out to drills. We got to get some sort of excitement. We got to kind of build the program from the ground up. Um, fortunately I got to work with some people who had a really good, uh, experience, 
Um, Russell Warner and Tim Leos were, were very instrumental in that for me. They're, they're both Oklahoma legends in the teaching. Um, and I spent, that was my only job prior to UCO. So for 11 years, I started, started teaching tennis and worked on my, my ability to build relationships. Um, you know, that's the number one thing mm -hmm. for the number one thing for a teaching pro is, is not how good you are at teaching tennis only. It's about, can you keep clientele happy? Can you, you know, can you communicate with your bosses? Can you communicate with the kids? Um, you know, can you, can you keep some sort of structure? Um, and at 22 years old, you don't have a lot of that necessarily. That's, mm -hmm. you know, that's not, they don't teach you that in college. <laughs> um, and so I was able to kind of go in there and, and, and really establish myself and, and building on relationships um, and, and doing those things. And it's really prepared me for when I got to college because, you know, you still have, you know, coach to player relationships, you have coach to administration relationships, and then you have coach to coach relationships. They're also important in, in building your career. So I really feel like those were some of the main, mm -hmm. the main strong points that I got from working at Philcrest. Very good. And, and what about uh, event planning? Was that uh, part of what you did at Philcrest? Yeah, event planning was 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 really, you know, in instrumental as well. Um, not necessarily, we had a, a GM that kind of did more of the pro-ams or necessarily, you know, he did more of the, uh, we had a, pr a pro tournament there, it was a 50k every year uh, for a long time, then it was a 10k. Um, but we got to kind of be involved in that a little bit, you know, organizing the ball kids, um, organizing, you know, when, when people came into town, keeping the club in, in, in the proper direction. Um, my main thing was junior development. So my programs were more about, you know, setting what we were going to do, setting what, uh, you know, what, what times we were going to train during school, out of school, what tournament schedules, you know, for some of the kids that were playing, uh, at a higher level, uh, traveling with them. So doing a lot of the the business side of it of of making a plan for them and and kind of sticking to it. Um, everybody questions it. Everybody questions what you're doing. You mm -hmm. know why are we doing it this way or, or or why are you doing it that way? But uh, I was able because it was a, a blank slate. Um, I was able to kind of do whatever I want. I got to I got to run with that. So. Mm -hmm. So, so do you think then that that really did prepare you to become a head coach? I mean, do you, do you think you would have you were better served going down this pathway than being an assistant coach at at another program? You know, I really believe um, at first I really I struggled with that when I got to college because there was so much to learn. Um, but what I think that the, the number one thing I learned from the organization and being a, a professional is it's up to you to make your income. It's up to you to to you know teach and it's up to you to to make sure your programs are are financially working um it's the same thing when you get to college you know you're, you're the ceo of your own company yes you're on a set salary but you know it's up to you to 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 balance the scholarships it's up to you to to um to to know how to deal with your operational budget it's kind of the same thing as a as a as a pro at philcrest is it was up to me if, if, if I didn't teach, I didn't get paid. If I didn't have junior programming and reach a certain number, then you don't get paid. Um, you know, so those organizational skills came in handy. Um, and it also allowed me to, ma to mature very quickly. Um, you know, before you kind of get at the ego of, well, I just got done playing college tennis. I know everything. Um, and, and I, and I wasn't mature enough to be a college coach. Well, 
I was mature enough to be a college coach. I don't know if I would have been as successful in a, in a quick time frame if I want to spend time maturing myself mentally and understanding that there's more to it than mm. just the tennis side of things. Right. Right. So, so how did you end up at UCO then? Where, why, why leave that? Why leave Phil Crest? Why, why move into college tennis? So for, I did that for 11 years. Um, this my, you know, I had, I was a, a, a head pro in, in, in New Mexico state at a club, Picacho Hills. And I did that all while I was playing all through college to make, you know, some extra money. Um, and when I, when I went to Phil Crest, it was my first job. Um, me and my wife have two little boys and I'm pretty rough on my body. Um, I'd ruptured three, di three discs in my neck and tore my labrum in my shoulder. And I had some health issues and me and my wife were sitting around in our backyard one day, right? literally how it came about for UCO was me and my wife were sitting around in the backyard and we said, um, we want to move back to Edmond. We want to move back to Edmond. I was going to get out of the tennis industry. I was looking to do something more on the sales side, uh, you know, people building relationships. I, I just, I think I could be very successful in that. And I wasn't sure if I was done with tennis yet, I, I'm, but my body physically was telling me that it was pretty tired. Um, it was, it was a rough year for me. I rubbed the three discs in my neck. You know, I didn't think I was going to ever be able to swing a racket again. Uh, C6, C7 and T1. And then my torn labrum, you know, I just wasn't sure what it was going to do. So we're sitting in the backyard one day and I said, I don't want to be the crippled guy who can't get around and not be around for his kids. And I jumped on, I jumped on uh, a job site and I saw that the college coaching position was open at UCO. And I instantly started working on a resume. Um, I knew that there'd be a lot of people going after the job and I had to kind of distinguish how I was going to approach it to, to stick out above everybody else. And I applied for it, knew some of the girls that were on the team currently. I knew who they were from juniors. One had played with me. Um, and I said, you know what? I, I want to give college coaching a try. Uh, I applied for the job and kind of was quiet for a while. And so one day I decided to put on my, my suit and my tuxedo. And I drove up to the athletic department with my resume. And I said, uh, I would love an opportunity to coach here at UCO. And here's, here's personally, here's my, uh, my resume and I sat it on the athletic director's desk and said, you know, if you want to win, if you want to change this program around, I think I'm the coach for you. Wow. Um, so I was pretty aggressive, Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, but I had belief in myself, but I didn't know what college coaching was. I just knew that I could coach tennis. Yeah. Um, and I sat on his desk and he took a chance on me. I got into the final candidates. Mm -hmm. uh, they brought me in for an interview and you know, he, he, not a lot of athletic directors may have a lot of, uh, knowledge of our sports. So mm -hmm. I kind of laid what my knowledge was and I said, Hey, this is how I would turn it around. This is what I would do. And he had a lot of college coaches had been in the profession for a life lifetime, you know, had been, that's all they'd done since they got out of college and he took a chance on me and, and then I was nervous and scared and said, Oh my gosh, what I, what I sign up for, <laughs> you know, let's go figure this out. <laughs> So, wow, that's a uh, great story. Yeah. And, yeah. and what was his initial <laughs> reaction when you, when you showed up and put your resume down on his desk? Was he shocked? Was he, uh, I, I think he was shocked. I think the whole department was, you know, <laughs> um, but for me, I'm not very good with the let's apply online and wait it out. Mm -hmm. You know, um, <laughs> that's just not my personality. You know, I'm, I'm, I've always been the kind of guy that 
Let's get it done. Let's mm-hmm. not wait till tomorrow to get it done. Let's find a way to get it done today. Mm. Um, and that's just my personality. Yeah. And so when I walked in there, they kind of looked at me like, oh, this guy's serious. Like he, he wants this. And I think that's what separated me from the other candidates was, you know, other people may have known somebody or called somebody, but I was, I, I, I mm-hmm. and I made a pretty big statement. I put it on my shoulders. I said, you want to win, you're going to hire me. If you want to turn, turn this program in the direction that you're talking about, no matter what the situation is, I'll find a way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that was kind of, that's a lot of pressure on me. But I, I believed I could do it instantly. So sure. Well, well, well done. I know that was a it was a risk because that can go either way, right? I mean, sometimes athletic directors might be completely put off by that and and feel like it's it's a little too aggressive, and and other uh, ads will will really appreciate that. But it's yeah, it's hard to know. So it, it definitely uh, worked well for you. So congrats on pulling that off and having the the guts to go do that. But can you then take us through then, you know? some of those goals or the the potential you saw uh, at uco and and kind of uh what you maybe expressed to the ad and then how you've gone about following through on those promises because you you've taken you know the program from from being just kind of uh, an, another program to being one of the top d2 programs in the country so how does how does one go about doing that <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to go back. I, I call it my shoebox reference. Um, and, and I'll kind of start with it where we do this for the team and setting our goals. My first year here, you know, I took a team that was already here. Uh, two of the girls had been coached by four, by two coaches previous. Um, and I sat down and I made the girls write on a piece of paper what their goals were and put it in a shoebox. I basically gave them a, uh, uh, just a sticky note. And I said, I want you to write what your goal is, what's your goal for the team and what do you hope to accomplish this season? And don't show it to anybody else. Don't tell anybody else what it is. I don't want you to share this afterwards. I want you to put it in the shoe box and I'm going to take this box and I'm going to bury it. And at the end of the season, we're going to go and, you know, if we make the national tournament or if we make conference tournament, whatever, whatever, you know, wherever we're at, we're going to go dig up this box and we're going to go back through it and see what it was day one compared to what it was at the end of the season. And um, it was kind of how I even approached the job. The day that I applied for it, I I wrote out a list. I said, okay, this is the positives. UCOs um, in Edmond, Oklahoma. Great, you know, great city to be in. Um, you know, it has this amount of, of, of uh, opportunity in academic scholarships. I went through their websites. I went through and started doing my research on the university. Um, you know, it, it's got this relationship with this kid, you know, it's an American kid, an Oklahoma kid, you know, I, I went through all that and, and I started building my shoebox before I even got here. Um, you know, I kind of already had an idea where I wanted it to go. And then I came and I, I told my girls, I said, this is the shoebox. Um, every single year we've done a little bit different, not only shoe boxes, we've done, uh, we buried a bottle one year. Um, you know, we took an old, old, uh, uh, bottle and we put our goals in it and we wrote down what we wanted to accomplish in it. And, uh, and it's been very fulfilling to me. I think that's probably been the most fulfilling is not for my own personal goals or for my own personal gain, but to watch kids who maybe didn't have a goal accomplish something. Um, I, I can give this story. This is probably the most, this would be the story that I remember first from my college experience was we'd never been nationally ranked this team or the team had in the past, but this team, this group of girls kind of 
you know, the, the season before I got here, the coach left in February and they kind of had an administrator that coached them and took them around. They finished about fifth in the conference, fourth, fifth in the region. And uh, they went to the national tournament first round and they looked at the other teams as like being the pro team. Like they, this team was just going to kill them and they lost first round. And they didn't even wash their clothes. They basically put it in a bag and were told, hey, we don't know what's going to happen next season, but we need you to turn in all your gear. And they got off the bus and they basically were sent home after that first year. And so I walk into my office day one and all their clothes, like there's some players that have their clothes still that they had sweated the whole day in, in bags. And they've been sitting there for a month. And I literally walked down to the washer and dryer down in our athletic facility and I started washing the clothes. And one of the coaches that came around, they were like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm, I'm washing the team's clothes. Like, I'm getting everything straightened and getting ready to go for next year. He's like, well, that, you know, day one, you know, you, you get a plan to buy new stuff. I said, well, these girls are going to, they're going to show appreciation when they get here for what they already had. Like, this isn't going to be acceptable. Um, and that was, that was in my mind. And uh, the girls got here. I got to know them. I hit with them some of the, for volunteer practices in the summer. Um, I got to, to get to know the kids and they, they had no clue. There was no, they didn't understand what the NCAA tournament meant. They didn't understand what they were playing for. They just wanted to be number one, two or three in the lineup. And that's, that's what they wanted to do. Um, so I told the girls day one, I said, we'll be ranked in the top 50 in the country. I said, there's, there, I don't care. We'll take the same team that wasn't ranked last year. We're going to be ranked in the top 50 in the country. And they all kind of looked at me and, and I had a really good number one and my top three girls were really strong at the time. And I had a couple other girls that could play. And, uh, I told my number one girl, I said, you can be an all American here. I mean, that's the goal is I want to, I want to take you from not being nationally ranked. Um, she was the conference freshman of the year. I said, but we're going to be, we're going to, we're going to, we could possibly be uh, an all American here. And I want to see what you can do. And I'll never forget the day, uh, I knew the rankings were coming out that day. We had some really big wins and knocked off some top 50 teams. We had, we had done pretty well. And we were at Oak Tree Country Club practicing on the indoors. And, and the email comes in from the ITA talking about it. And I said, hey, girls, come in. I need everybody to come in real quick. Stop hitting. And they came in. I said, hey, we're, we're three months into the season. And I want to share something because we're ranked, we're ranked 39 in the country. <laughs> and they all or it was something like that 39 or 43 mm -hmm. and they all looked at me and these girls were so ecstatic about accomplishing something they had yeah. never really had anything to accomplish and um that year we went on and we won uh, uh we won the first round of the national tournament the same team that had beat them pretty badly the year before um we knocked them off and we had a chance to, even in my first year, we came down to a really close match, uh, with our conference, uh, champions and we ended up losing, ended up losing the match five, three and had match points in two matches to, to, to go the other direction to make the sweet 16 in our first year. And with the same group of girls. And when they came back the next year, they said, coach, we're going to do it. Like you gave us some belief. Um, we brought in two, two recruits and, um, and it kind of went from there. We haven't left the top 10 since. Uh, we made, we made the elite eight that year. Uh, you know, we made the, made the top eight and lost to West Florida, who was national runners up. And we had a team of six girls. We didn't have a single backup. Um, we had three freshmen and three returners and, and we made a run at it. We were exhausted. I think we were just too tired by the time we got to the national tournament because we didn't have any, 
any backups, but it was, it was really fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we've really built, built on that tradition now. Like we, it's, it's just expected. Right. Like we're, we're, we're not going anywhere now, you know? So, yeah. And that was going to be one of my questions. Does, does it get easier once you've established that culture and that foundation and, and those expectations or, or does it get harder to maintain that? I don't think it gets harder to maintain it because I love doing it. Mm. Um, you know, so for me, I don't want to say it gets any harder. Mm-hmm. I believe it becomes a little bit more stressful. Um, you know, as you, as you get players, uh, that have a little bit higher level and the demand becomes greater on, on you as a coach. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, one of those coaches. I'm very hands-on. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's, it's, you set the expectation cause you know what the, the workload is that they need to do to keep improving. Um, and you know, so we, uh, for, you know, spend a lot of time in the summers, you know, the kids that stay here, the kids that are around, we spend a lot of time training in the summer. Uh, you know, we do a lot of individual work. And so those kids, it becomes harder because it's more workload on you and you're trying to find out what's the next level you need to get to, to keep up with your competition. Um, but the harder part I would say, I don't think it's that it's, necessarily harder i think it's more stressful mm-hmm. um yeah but it's again the, the the reward is worth it yeah so okay and and so yeah how do you continue to build upon the success of the previous year i mean you're obviously you you came in you inherited this group you infused a sense of belief into the team you 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 know set goals you set a a certain structure uh you recruited extremely well but what are some of the other things that you've done well that have allowed you to build upon your success with with each passing year i think it starts in the recruiting process of saying what your vision is and, and, and making sure that you have a kid that understands what the end goal is before they even get on campus. Um, yeah, I have a player right now. Uh, I'm both my, my, my one and two, um, I recruit him as freshmen. And when I first talked to him, it wasn't, Hey, you know, come in, you're going to get a full scholarship. Let's just go in here and, you know, the best we can. It was, we want to make you an all American you know, we want you to have some sort of personal, personal goal to work towards. Um, but we want you to be the leaders of the team since you're a freshman. I've had, um, we've had, I think nine all Americans, a total nine all Americans since I've been here for in three out of the four years. And out of that, four of them have been freshmen, true freshmen. Um, so these are kids that you have to, you know, they're talented. Yes. They're very skilled. Um, but they're, they're also, this was the first year that I had a, a kids that were upperclassmen and they were sophomores, you know, these all Americans were sophomores. They weren't seniors or juniors. They didn't kind of go there. So they kind of came in with the idea from day one of, Hey, when you step on campus, there's going to be push. You're, you're going to be required to, to really buy in, do what's asked of you. And, and, and then they also, they, they respect that because, they know that I'm going to put in the same amount of work as they are. You know, I'm, I'm never going to ask them to do something that I wouldn't do. Um, you know, I, I play with them all the time, play practice matches with them. Uh, even though I'm a little bit out of shape right now, I still run with them when I can. Um, but they, they, I think they respect that and they know how much time I put into it. So I, I love that, that the kids have, have been very good at uh, seeing that and then giving me the same energy back. 
So I think that's been the key to key to our success. And, and, and then also, you know, that these kids really want to play for something, you know, division two gets a division two sometimes gets a rap of, Oh, while you're D two, you know, or, you know, it's not, I'll tell you right now, I, I have the mentality that we'll play anybody in the country win or lose like that's our girls know that our, our girls want to put on their shoes and if we get our butts kicked we get our butts kicked but we're willing to compete against anybody at any time we don't care if it's d1 to you know juco to nai we just believe that playing good quality matches against good opponents but let's play mm-hmm. um and uh, i think that's kind of my mentality and it's really kind of translated to my girls. They're always looking for challenges. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know. There's but, no, no doubt that's true, Jaron. I mean, I, I think some coaches say that. Um, but but after watching your team compete for a few days in Oklahoma City, I, I can definitely see your your personality rub off on them, their level of competitiveness. And, and I absolutely believe they'd, they'd go and take on any team in the country. So uh, continue doing what you're doing and feeding them whatever you're feeding them. So, um Another question I have is just around um, how you've made your team so relevant on your campus. I I think traditionally tennis coaches, um, and and I'll put myself in that category as well, is, is, you know, you kind of keep your head down, you stay out of trouble, you don't ruffle too many feathers. You have already talked about earlier on this interview how you you marched up to the AD's office um, and uh, made your case. But uh, I get the sense that at UCO, you know, everybody knows that there's a tennis program there. I, I think um, a lot of times, um, you know, there'll be people on campuses, whether it's a professor or somebody who works there or, you know, a grad student, and you'll come across them. They'll say, oh, I didn't even know there was a tennis team here. But I get the sense that everybody knows about your program and the success of your program. So how have you gone about making your program so relevant at, uni- at, at, at UCO? You know, it's, it's, it's a fine line. It really is. I, I probably push a little bit harder uh just because i just want respect for my girls i mean it's not about me it it really isn't um but the the number one thing i tell my girls and and it kind of started with this is don't don't try to set a standard be the standard um this is something i told my kids all along is like if if our girls are known as the hardest working girls in the weight room um someone's going to know about it The, the strength and conditioning coach is going to talk about it um, you know, they're, they're going to talk about that. You know, our girls, if they're, if they're the, if, if we're one of the top academic programs in the athletic department, every single, mm. every single year, year in and year out, the professors are going to know that, you know, they're going to have that relationship with the, with the professors They're you know, we're, we're going to boast about these kids, what they're doing in the academic side of things, you know, that, that standard is high. Um, you know, and I believe that when I told the girls, you know, you know, be the standard, don't set the standard. A lot of people shoot to set a goal. Well, we'll be this good and then everybody else will follow. I tell the girls, be as good as you can. Do accomplish everything you can at 100%. And then that sets the standard. You know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's, you are the standard for everybody else. And, you know, our, if we're in the weight room with the, with the men's golf team or whatever other team we're in there with, our girls are going to, they're going to compete with them. They're going to show that they can lift that much weight. They're going to do those things. Um, if, if there's something on campus, there's some sort of, uh, event, you know, our, our girls are going to make sure that they're going to be rep- represented. You, you know, tennis is a lot of times it's hard to get other sports to come and watch. I tell the girls, don't ask for the wrestling team to come watch you. If you guys aren't going to go to their duel, 
you know, be at their duel, be loud. Don't just be sitting there on your phones. Um, when you see the, the coaches in the hallway, don't just walk by a coach, you know, reach your hand out, shake their hand, say hello. Um, and that's been kind of, kind of been our policy. Um, it, it, it's even at, at tournaments and stuff. Um, sometimes it can come across as, 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 as kids can be, uh, confident or, or cocky even. I tell the girls, I said, Hey, be the first one. If the team leaves, leaves garbage out, be the first one to say something, pick up the garbage, carry it to the trash can and put it in the trash can, but maybe just say something, just be like, Hey, you know, you guys should probably keep up after yourself. Mm. You know, um, that can come across as being rude to people or people can take that as being intimidating, but it's going to make them better. They're going to think about it twice when they're somewhere and they see trash on the ground to be, Hey, you know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't leave our lunch sitting in the stands today or, you know, leave trash laying around. Um, we, we do that around campus. That's, that's one of my team's policies. If you see a piece of trash and I see you walk by it, I'm going to make you run back to it and pick it up. Like there's just no need for that. Um, and, and our girls really did have done a good job with, with those little things, um, saying hi, saying hello to coaches, saying, you know, saying good job to other athletes on campus. Sometimes girls can, you know, put their headphones in and walk by someone. If someone's wearing a basketball shirt, tell them good game. You know, that means a lot. Win or lose, it means a lot to them. Um, don't just walk by and act like you're in your own world, even if you're intimidated. Um, and, and that's gone, a, it's gone a long way with my girls because they, uh, they definitely know people on campus know who we are. Um, and, and I'm not saying that in a, in a bad way, but they, they know that our kids are, they're good kids. Um, they're not making headlines for doing bad things. Um, so that makes a big difference in, in being relevant on campus. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And then I, I, I want to shift into, into D2 indoor national championships. Uh, I mean, I, I hope most of our coaches listening know that this was the, the first year of, uh, national championships at the D2 level. I mean, obviously, uh, D1, D3, they've been going on for decades. And I know NAIA are, uh, looking to potentially start one, um, maybe in the next couple of years. But, um, you know, yourself and Scott Lynn put your hands up. you you guys were willing to, to be co-hosts uh, there in, in Oklahoma City. Um, but why bother with the stress of co-hosting the, the D2 Indoor National Championships with everything else you have going on in your life? I, I go back to it being for the kids. Um, after this was all said and done and it got, it got you know accomplished this last year, I really believe that at our level, our kids should be respected just like the division one kids. Um, you know, yes, we work just as hard. I'm not, you know, there, there's some very great players out there at the division two level, um, on the men's and women's side. And I think that it means a lot to these kids to have a championship like that. You know, um, it, it means, a, I know for my team, it meant a lot to do it on their home court. You know, for, for Division Two, you're so regionalized. You know, it's hard to always play the top schools if you're in the top 10. Um, you know, three, four, five of the schools in the top 10 are in Florida. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then you have a school in, in Hawaii that's, that's really spread out and you don't have the large budgets to do it. And by the time you get to the NCAA tournament, a lot of times because of regionalization, the top schools aren't all at the NCAA tournament. You know, a team could be ranked uh, two or three in the country and get knocked out of the regional before they even get to be in the sweet 16 and get there. So with a division two indoor national championships this last year, 
it was very fun to see. And it's got some, some kings to work out. It was very fun to see the intensity and get that level of match that early in the season. You know, you had eight teams that were ranked in the top 10 from the previous year here. And the matches were super competitive and it kind of gives you a filling out process. You, uh, you know, you get to be in that loud indoor environment. You, you gotta be playing for something new. And to me, it, it was not about, yeah, it costs money. It, you know, I could have raised that money just for my program and traveled and not had that stress, mm-hmm. but I, I did it for the, for everybody. I, I, I hope that the division two coaches understand this and I, and, and I hope they know that this wasn't about what it did for UCO. It helped me. Did it, is it going to help in my recruiting? Is it going to help in, in, in our, in our fan support? Absolutely. But there was a lot of talk about it. And a lot of people were saying, yeah, you know, it's a, a huge financial impact. And how do I raise the money? I said, you know, I'm kind of like my, my job interview was, let's get it done. Let's do it. <laughs> um, you know, Scott was, I, I, I Scotland's a, a very, uh, very, um, He's very interactive with, with, with college tennis as well. He, he wants what's best for it. So, you know, when I called him and, and, and on the co-host side, I said, look, I don't have a men's team. You know, I, I want someone to do it um, with me. You know, would you be willing to put in the work? Scott, you know, two and a half hours south, he still raised the money for his portion of it. Um, you know, I had to put a little bit more legwork as far as the logistics of it, but I live here. So that's, that's part of it. Um, but Scott did a very good job of, of, you know, making sure he covered his end and it was better for, he was doing it for the right reasons, I believe of college tennis in general. Um, you know, uh, so yes, it costs money. Yes. It costs time. I I wanted to make it, you know, something that was, was memorable. I mean, you got to be at the dinner and the banquet. So, um, it's kind of, uh, you look back on this, the times we're in with COVID right now and, and you can think about this, the speech that my brother-in-law gave at the dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was kind of very, it was very, uh, impactful to me now. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, to me after looking at it, everybody might've at the dinner been like, okay, what's this guy talking about? You know, um, what's going to go on. But to me, I, I look back on that. I'm like, man, it's crazy. I think that we were two weeks away from our season being canceled at that mm-hmm. dinner. Yeah. You know, we mm. were sitting there with people from all over the world in Edmond, Oklahoma, <laughs> listening to someone talk about a, a, you know, a financial crash of our economy and, and you know, a global pandemic. And everybody's kind of going, okay, whatever. You know, that's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, yeah. And another thing that was very empowering for, I think, for, I hope that some of the young ladies that were in the room that night, um, I really hope they take to, to some of the things he was saying about empowering the young women you know he he made some comments that night about you know as an athlete you're you're getting on the job training as an athlete that you don't even know and when you get out you got to believe in your skill set it's not about what you only learn in the classroom but what you learn how to handle adversity and i think that was very impactful to me because i respect him a lot and it was really cool to have that as part of the indoor nationals this last year. Yeah, no, it was it was a really great event, and and uh, just so uh, uh, I feel very fortunate that I was there for for the first one, and and to witness the work your, yourself and Scott put into that, and uh, I had a great time. I could see the student athletes and the coaches really had a, had a wonderful time, and we're so appreciative for the work that you guys had put in. So thank you for for your efforts. It was it was outstanding, and and really hope. Uh, 
hope we're back there next February and, um, you know, uh, give a year or two ago and, and continue to build from there. And, and hopefully you're looking back in 20, 25 years and this tournament's still going strong and you can be very proud of, of what you guys started. So um, I want to move into to fundraising a little bit because obviously you put a lot of in work into fundraising for for that event um, and, and many other aspects of your program. So what advice can you give to coaches around fundraising? What lessons have you learned in, in the last few years? So that was probably the most difficult thing for me when I got into college coaching to understand it. Um, you know, you get into it and you kind of start understanding what foundations are or what your needs of your, of your program are or where your deficits are. Um, and the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, I'm not going to go knock on someone's door and ask them for something. That's just not me. Um, I want to know who's been involved. I want to know who's been around. I want to get the alumni engaged and I want to go out and I want to build a relationship. So the number one thing I did, I didn't come up with a, a, a list of people I was going to go ask for anything from. I wanted to know who had any history in the program. I started, uh, coach Baxter was here for 36 years. Um, and you know, he kind of went out at a time that I don't believe he wanted to retire, but he, he was a little bit older and he, they, he retired. Um, but I didn't feel like there was anything paid in respect to what he did. Well, I was coached by my grandfather. So that was kind of dear to my heart because my grandpa coached me growing up and he was, he's the one that put a tennis racket into my hand. So I really went and I said, Hey, how can I you know, do something in coach Baxter's honor in the first year? And I, and I, and I really didn't know how to do it. So I put something small on and, uh, we had an, an opposing coach bring him a baseball bat and I saw how he had impacted people's lives. And then I really started working on that relationship with him and listening to his stories. And then from there, he, you know, he gave me, uh, it's kind of weird how it happens here, but he gave me bins full of newspapers. Uh, paper clippings for 36 years i got four bands of highlights that were newspaper clippings of uco tennis wow. uh, you know and he kept a, a record of every player that played here they're all americans their win-loss record written in, in, in on a piece of pen and paper <laughs> and and i have them in my garage right now and he he called me over one day and said hey coach come and come and pick these up these might be useful to, for you you know they may or they may not and then I started going through and making a list of, hey, well, this player played here and this year and, and, you know, how would I get in contact with them? And, 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 and I've done it. I've done what I can. I they're still not perfected. Um, so that was my first, my first venture was to go towards the alumni and people who played here. And then the second venture that I did is not to be afraid of trusting on the relationships I had built. Um, there's a lot of people that will support you, even if they don't support your university. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's one thing that I, I think has been the most important part of my, my fundraising is I have people who've never stepped foot on our campus, but I have done something for them in the past, or I'd worked with them in the past and I still don't ask them for money, but they're very supportive of what I'm doing in my vision. Um, so in the fundraising side, I've really been fortunate to get people who go, Hey, what you're doing is amazing. Like, you know, you you know, majority of ours goes towards scholarships. And then, you know, I make sure that these people know that, you know, we're recruiting athletes who are graduating with degrees in nursing and business and, um, you know, what their GPAs are, uh, what they plan to do when they're done with tennis with their degree. 
and then that makes more of, uh, of an impact on people seeing what your vision is of, hey, man, you're, you're really doing a good job academically as well as athletically. How can we get on board with that? And and then the events, you know, when I hosted the Indoor Nationals, um, you know, there was a lot of people within the community that support the, the sport of tennis. And I went to them and I said, hey, this is this would mean a lot to our program and a lot to our kids. You're, you're going to have an impact on 200 student athletes lives. They don't know they don't know who they are. Um, but when you tell them that they can impact 200 student athletes in in by giving a little bit of money, um, there was a lot of people that, that wanted to be a part of that. You know, they wanted to, you know, uh, to, to feel a part of that. And and that really helped me for the fundraising for the indoor national event. Um you know, and, and the other thing too is I could have been cheap and and kind of said, "Well, I need to make more money for my program." I wanted to make sure that I gave it all back to the to to the event. That was something that was very important to me in my first year. Was you know, I want the dinner. I don't want it to be cheap. You know, I want good food. I want you know to have a get. You know, my brother in law flew straight from from California from Ohio to California to here, and he came in and did that. And he did it all out of the kindness of his heart, you know, he, he's a good person. He, he, you know, he didn't charge me anything at the time or he has never has, uh, but I wanted to make it as good as I could for the event. Um, now I know what I can do to make it better and, you know, make it more rewarding. Um, but for my first time I was like, okay, let's, let's make it as good as we can. And then we'll, we'll, we'll tweak it from there. So, yeah. Um, pretty good. That, yeah. Yeah. Anything else to add there? Sorry, I cut you off no, there. That, that, that's, that's it. You know, fundraising is all about relationship building. Yeah. So it's all about, it's not about asking people for money and it's not about wanting money to be honest. With you. If you want money and you, and you don't get it, you're going to be disappointed. Um, it's, it's about knowing what that person, how they want to help you, how they want to impact you and, and trying to do your best to trying your best to, to, to sell your vision, to make sure that happens. Yep. Okay, so what is maybe keeping you up at night right now in regards to your own program, Division Two tennis, and and maybe college sports in general? You know, the the first thing that will come to my mind is I'm not afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of losing my career. Hmm. Um, I, I look at college coaching as it gave me a second lease on tennis. Um, I was out of the industry. I was burnt out. I was tired of teaching tennis. I was, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I, I kind of hated it to be honest with you. Um, when I was getting out of the private industry, I, I just didn't like it. I, I was, I was done. Um, and when I got into college coaching, it, it was a rejuvenation of what I, a passion. I love it. I love everything about it. I love the people in the sport. I love the coaches, uh, the players, the, the competitiveness, it, it kind of gave me a new lease. And so with all, everything that's going on, I'm not really afraid of losing my job ever. I'm not afraid of not being able to support my family or, or any financial means for me. I'm afraid that I just got started in something that I'm so passionate about and I could watch it all go away. Um, I think 60 some programs have been cut across the country. I've heard projections that up to 200 programs will be cut in the next year. You know, we're, we'll be fooling ourselves to not see that as a, as a true, a true issue. And so I'm, I'm, I'm up at night because I'm not ready to, to be done with this. You know, I'm not, I'm not ready to, to do this and not for any monetary, not, not to make a million dollars, not to retire on top. I love it. I love, I, 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 um, 
I just love, I, I love college tennis. It's meant so much. I, I just love tennis in general, but mm-hmm. college tennis has really put a passion back into me. So it's good to hear. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there, Jaron. And, and obviously very worrying time. And, and it's, it's, yeah, potentially, I mean, I've, I've on the record of saying since March and April, I, I'm more concerned about kind of this time next year or april of next year uh when we we have a better understanding of of the fallout of what we're experiencing right now and and uh, i mean i it's not only tennis programs i i i'm worried about Absolutely. you know athletic departments as a whole getting wiped out i'm worried about universities closing their doors completely um, Absolutely. because of the the changing uh winds that are uh, upon us right now but um look we'll 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 finish on a more positive note here i'm going to go into our rapid fire round and uh, ask you some quick questions so is there a, is there a book that's made a major impact on you as a coach it's kind of it's, it's going to not be your typical uh, uh tennis coach answer but uh the fighter's mind by sam sheridan okay um I, i'm into martial arts and i take a, even tennis is kind of one of those sports that it's an individualized sport and you have a lot of uh one-on-one you know combat is the way to put it you know you have to figure it out like a chess match um so the fighter's mind by sam sheridan's a book that i i really enjoyed and um it's kind of the whole thought processes that that go on inside Mm. your mind before competition and stuff so okay i'll check that out love it uh do you have a favorite drill to do at your team uh yeah my favorite drill is probably a drill we call push pull um it's it's basically we put a, a coach on each side and, and put a doubles team on each side starting at the baseline and uh whatever side wins the point gets control of the net but you can never turn your back to the court you always have to back pedal mm-hmm. once the team's in the service box the other coach can feed to the deep team and you keep alternating score back and forth it's a it's a high-paced doubles drill mm-hmm. um so it's probably one of my favorite drills to do we do it for a competition all the time and, and the girls tend to love okay thanks for that name one thing you've changed your mind on in recent years whether it's in coaching or in life um i think the number one thing that i've changed my mind on is that our our direction is is chosen like i'm a control freak so i've I've, (laughs) i wanted to control the direction that things are going in and and learning this being a college coach is things change at the snap of a finger. Um, you know, you have this big plan, you have everything kind of set in stone and everything that's happened in the last four years of my life can change within a split second. Mm. It's not our choice to do that. So that, that's really changed my mind. I always felt like I could kind of control my own destiny with things, I guess is the way to put it. And, and then that doesn't, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's someone stronger. Yeah. And do you have a favorite quote? Uh, I'm really big on the new, the, the Michael Jordan quote. I've never missed a shot that I haven't taken. <laughs> um, you know, the last dance, I was an awesome documentary. Mm-hmm. So when he, when he made that quote of, you know, I've never missed a shot that I haven't taken yet. Mm-hmm. Um, my girls right now probably heard me say that to them 50 times in practice a day. <laughs> like you, you can't miss that forehand if you've never even hit it, you know, like <laughs> you can't doubt yourself. And it's, it's kind of, I think what I've, I, I put in relation to what my, my coaching career has been is, Hey, if I would have never taken that shot, I would never be here. If yep. I want to walk in that lady's office. So yeah, I kind of, I kind of love that saying. Very good. And is there one lesson you hope all your players have learned before they leave UCO? 
I, I think the biggest lesson I want them to learn is forgiveness. Um, I had a hard time with that for a long time. Um, you, on a daily basis, you may like your teammate, you may be mad at your teammate, you go through things. Um, I've had to learn to, to forgive. I've had to learn to respect what other people's decisions are. And I really hope that my kids understand that when they get older, to not hold grudges, um, you know, not be mad at someone, not to, not to hold, hold vendetta against anybody, to forgive, mend that relationship, because a lot of the stuff that we get mad at and what we get upset about really doesn't, isn't that important. Mm-hmm. We, we can move past it. So I really hope that my kids learn how to love each other and forgive each other when they make mistakes. Very good. We need more of that in the world right now, Jaren. So I'm glad yeah. uh, you, you finished us up on that note. But thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I learned a lot out, out of it, and I'm sure our coaches will too. So I look forward to getting this out to them in the next few weeks. I appreciate it, Dave. And, and you know, keep your family safe. And hopefully we're, we're, we're talking positive in the next couple of years about this. And it's just a, a trial that we get through. Yeah, let's hope so, man. All right. Thank you. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Thanks. Thanks.